We return this evening to Mark's Gospel, the 15th chapter. Mark chapter 15. We read this evening verses 21 through 32. 21 through 32 of Mark chapter 15. So we finish this morning, verse 20. They led him out to crucify him, 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself! Come down from the cross! So also the chief priest with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Let us pray. Father, bless your word as you inspired Mark to write these words through the work of your Holy Spirit. May your Holy Spirit now take those inspired words and work them in our own hearts. Feed us, nourish us, challenge us, mold us, shape us to be the people of Christ. In whose name we pray, God's people saying, Amen. So, we're going to be looking from this passage, not at all the gory details that uh, sometimes are necessary to call our attention to. Um, Mark doesn't. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting when we get there. And they crucified him and he moves on. We have seen in the Gospel of Mark that, that Mark is the Gospel of action. Things happen quickly. There's always something going on. And in this section, there are six groups, individuals, that we meet. Mark mentions nothing about the women who are there. We know that. He doesn't mention anything about John and Mary, Jesus' mother, or the other women that are gathered there, they're not mentioned in John's account. Other accounts, particularly the Gospel of John, uh, mentions that. But Mark doesn't. Uh, he's the man of action. There are things happening, and that which is happening, uh, not just standing there watching, but that which is happening is what Mark reports to us. So first of all, we may meet a man named Simon, or called Simon. He is from Cyrene, which is the northern part of Africa. Today, it is in the country of 
Libya. Acts tells us uh, on several occasions that there was a large colony of Jews that actually had been dispersed prior uh, to this. We don't know exactly when, but sometime prior to the beginning of the New Testament times, uh, there was a colony of Jews that established there. There is quite a presence of Jewish people there. Whether Simon is, has come from Cyrene to uh, Jerusalem for the Passover, um, or whether he ha- was born and raised in Cyrene and now lives in Judea, Palestine, uh, we're not sure. The, the text would, would, would not answer that question for us. So it could be he's just come for Passover. Um, but he's also, we're also told, he has two sons. He's the father of Alexander and, and Rufus. And, and the way Mark writes that, okay, seems to indicate that the people to whom he's writing, recalling again this morning, the church in Rome, um, probably know these two guys. Uh, they stopped a guy named Simon, uh, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, why would he tell us who he's the father of, if they have no clue who these sons are. There's actually some more evidence towards that. Uh, If you go to the book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 13. Romans uh, 16, verse 13. We we just read this little greeting that Paul desires to give. Chapter 16, verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. And so perhaps the Rufus mentioned here in Romans 16, 13 is the same Rufus that we have mentioned here in Mark chapter 15. Mark's writing it in such a way that they seem to be familiar. So most commentators link these two men together. He has two sons. It doesn't say the two sons are with him. I know there has been a couple of popular songs, uh, Christian songs that have been written uh, about the the two sons being with the father, but the text really doesn't tell us whether they're with him uh, or not. They could have. They could have been old enough uh, to have joined their father in coming uh, for the feast of the Passover. But the text does tell us he is coming from the country to Jerusalem. He is coming in. So he, he, he's going the opposite way of the group. The soldiers, along with Jesus and the other two robbers, those two robbers, are headed out of Jerusalem towards the place of the skull. That's where they're going. He is coming the opposite direction. Now, it could be he couldn't find lodging in Jerusalem because of the feast of the Passover. Uh, Maybe he was staying with relatives outside of Jerusalem, but now he's coming back in to to join in this week-long feast of unleavened bread. And particularly upon this day, which was the Passover day in which the lamb is going to be killed at the temple. So this is, this is a pretty important day. It's a day, you know, if you've traveled all the way from Cyrene, you don't want to miss being in that temple. 
So already at 9 a.m., even though it's going to be 3 p.m. when the lamb is going to be killed, that uh, Simon's already making his way in. And we are told that he carries the cross. Actually, they force him into service. They press him into service. Jesus, weakened by all that has happened, is unable to carry the cross any further. We read that in the other gospel accounts. Simon, then, is forced. So they're walking. They spot him. <laughs> the providences of God, right? He's not selected. It's not like uh, you know, they got names of ten guys. Who, who, hey, Simon, Cyrene, you're, you're next. You, you come. No, they just spot him and force him, press him. You can just see a soldier grabbing onto his arm, Okay? grabbing onto his cloak, maybe holding out his sword and saying, get over there, get over there, carry that cross. That's the work of Simon of Cyrene. He carries the cross, and he carries it, verse 22 tells us, to the place that is called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Uh, in Greek, uh, the Greek word for skull is cranium. Uh, in Latin, cranium gets, you know, some of you I think probably have a board game. I think it's called cranium, right? Okay, so there, there's our Greek coming out, right? So skull, cranium, okay? But in Latin, the word cranium or cranion, skull, is C-A-L-V-A-R-I-A, Calvaria, or in English, Calvary. That's where the name comes from. It means the place of the skull. This is where Simon carries the cross to. How long does he stay? How long does he linger? Does he watch that which happens? Scripture is silent about that. We do not know. But we do know he was there because Mark tells us he carried the cross to the place of the skull. The second group that we meet in this passage are the soldiers. Uh, these are not the same soldiers that were back in the palace doing all the mockery. This is not the battalion. This is a special squad now of Roman soldiers who are given the responsibility of crucifixions. What do the soldiers do? Well, if we put the accounts together, we would say, well, first of all, they probably tacked that placard that uh, Pilate had made, this is the king of the Jews, onto the cross above Jesus' head. That placard is an indication of the crime. But actually, that placard has been involved, uh, from what I've read, as they walk through the streets, a soldier carried that placard ahead of the condemned person. So here's Jesus behind. Here are the other criminals. They each have a soldier walking, okay, with the crime being indicated. So for the other two guys, it's thief or robber, malefactor. For Jesus, the placard simply says, 
king of the Jews. But it says it in multiple languages, which is an interesting thing. Seems to be unique in that regard. So one of the things this group of soldiers did was put that placard, that charge, onto the cross. Then, just note in this crucifixion what they did. It says, okay, that they offered him, verse 23, verse 23 wine mixed with myrrh. It's some sort of drug. It's, it's a means of deadening the pain. But it's not out of sympathy. It's not out of, oh, we feel so sorry for this guy and what we're about to do to this guy. Man, give him something to take away the pain. No, they're actually giving it to him to lengthen the time of suffering. They're giving it to him so that he stays alive suffering longer. Which is all part of their act of crucifying. But just notice how Mark does it. Verse 24, and they crucified him. He doesn't say how, he doesn't talk about all the gory details. We understand it, don't we? We get it. We know what they did. It's horrific. What did these soldiers do? They crucified him. 9 a.m. in the morning, the third hour of the day. But then... Notice what they do. Notice how Mark does this, the callousness. See, remember, the, these, these Christians in Rome are enduring persecution. And, and it's by unfeeling, unsympathetic men. When we begin to read and find out in history some of the things that were done to these Christians and to their children, you wonder, how could any Roman soldier carry out these orders? They're hard, they're callous. Look at this scene. They just crucified a guy. They just crucified a man. And what are they doing? They're dividing his garments. They're playing a game. They're playing a game of dice. They're casting lots. See who can get what. Their biggest effect of, of the cross is, what do I get to come home with? What piece of clothing do I get to come home with? They play a game for his clothes. And they totally ignore the one on the cross. They pay no attention to Jesus. They're not listening. They're not watching. Oh, the centurion probably is because, you know, he's probably given the job of making sure of watching for death. Uh, somebody has to do that. But these soldiers? Paying no attention to that which is right behind them. The Son of God who they crucified died. Well, who else does Mark mention? Well, he mentions the bypassers. I believe if we go down to verse 29. And those who passed by, 
derided him. These are the people, they observe, they see, they're on their way into Jerusalem or on their way out. This is a busy day, people coming and going, right? A lot of stuff happening. Uh, They got to get a lot of stuff done before sunset because then all sorts of Sabbaths set in and they can't go anywhere or do anything. It's sort of like what probably Myers look like at about, uh, well, maybe 3 p.m. this past Monday, right? Okay, as of such and such a time, you have to stay home. What does everybody do? Whoosh to the store. Whoosh, go get gas. Whoosh to the hardware store. Go to Menard, stack up. I'm going to be home. I might as well do that repair job, right? These folks are going to observe a strict Sabbath. No cutting corners. No going to McDonald's and picking up the meal from the window for these folks. They got a lot to get done. I'm under the impression that there's probably two Sabbaths that are back to back here because of, of where this falls and when this falls. So they got a lot to get done, the bypassers. But they take the time to observe. They see and they recognize. They know who this is. We know they know who it is by the quote they give. Oh, yeah, they read, king of the Jews. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And what does it say they do? Verse 29, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, shaking their heads, disdain, contempt, right? That that was Psalm 22 this morning, wasn't it? All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Psalm 22, 7. Exactly as it's written. That's what they did. Who are these passerbyers? Well, in a sense, they fulfill this prophecy. They're the headwaggers. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You really thought you were something, weren't you? Remember when you were a kid? Did your mom or dad ever do that to you? Did a teacher in school, after you had royally messed up or disappointed them or done something really, really unthoughtful? <sighs> Robert, Robert, Robert. Oh, yeah. I've heard that once or twice in my life, more than twice, right? Wag the head. See, that's what we do. We shake our heads. That's what these people did. But they're doing it at the Son of God. They're doing it to Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah, you really thought you were something, didn't you? Then they issue the challenge, the uh, aha, the scorn. You really thought you were king of the Jews. Huh, really? Hard to believe that that's who you... Look at you now! And once again, notice they misquote that passage. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Oh, word got out, didn't it? 
word leaked out out of the Sanhedrin as far as what was being talked about and the false witnesses that were going on. This twisting of Jesus' words. Come down! Come down! Save yourself from the cross. See, what these bypassers see is is a person of weakness. They see somebody weak and helpless hanging from that cross. They see somebody powerless. They see someone who who couldn't, couldn't save an ant if he tried in his position. It's not his weakness that held him there. It's his strength. His strength of love. The Father for you and I. The next group. Verse 31. So also the chief priests. So also meaning they join in the the deriding. They join in the the head shaking. But you notice what, what Mark calls attention to. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another. To one another. They don't even address Jesus. They don't even talk to Jesus. They don't even speak to Jesus. They talk about Jesus. That they do. They talk about him. But they won't address him face to face. They won't look him in the eye. They'll talk to one another. They'll they'll spread their vile insults to each other. But not in the presence, as it were, to Jesus. And notice, notice what they admit, saying, so they they mock him to one another, saying, he saved others. They admit it. They admit that Jesus saved people. Oh, if they had only dug into their scriptures, if they had only read God's word, that the one who heals the lame, that the one who cures the blind, that the one who makes the deaf to hear, that the one who does these miraculous things is the one who is my son. This day, in your presence, this passage is fulfilled before you, Jesus had said, in that synagogue of Nazareth. And even then, they wanted to kill him. He saved others. They know it. It's not that they deny. They've seen Jesus' miracles, but what have they done? They've attributed them not to the power of God. They've attributed him to the power of Beelzebub, to Satan. They have taken that which God has done and have said comes from the devil. In essence, they're saying that Jesus is a demon. 
mocked him. I mean, he's, he's hanging there, loving, loving the Father, loving you, loving me, hearing this, hearing this mockery, this derision. And then they outright lie. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Really? Do you really think they'd believe? Do you really think if at that moment Jesus had come down from the cross, even for, let's say, 10 seconds, he had just come down from the cross and said, okay, here I am, guys. I'm down from the cross. I'm in full health, full strength. You believe now? Oh, yeah, we believe. Okay, let me go back to my work. Goes back up on the cross. Do you think they would have believed? No. Jesus said in that parable about the rich man and Lazarus, remember? Oh, Lord, send somebody, send somebody, send somebody. They have Moses and the prophets. They won't believe if somebody comes back from the dead. Oh, how prophetic that parable was, right? Because what's going to happen? In three days, Jesus is going to come down from that cross. Jesus is going to rise from the dead. He's going to do more than what they said. He's still alive. He's still breathing. He's going to do an even more miraculous thing. He's going to be dead. And he will come back to life. Do they believe? Even in this moment, they lie. Now, there's another group. We've met them briefly beforehand in verse 27. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. That's why we often have the three crosses displayed with Jesus in the middle. That's what Mark tells us was the arrangement. But he also adds in this verse, those who were crucified with him also reviled him. They were crucified too. There were three men dying on crosses that day. There were three men whose lives were going to end. There were three men enduring the same physical pain. But two of those men deserve their condemnation. Two of those men were guilty of the crimes of which they were charged. Two of those men suffered. But not like Christ is going to suffer. Two of those men as long as they have breath, are not outside of God's presence. One is going to come and to experience God's presence in a most glorious way. But Jesus, while breathing, while living, is going to experience that which is beyond the physical torment, the spiritual horror 
in this life. Of knowing what it is to be damned and alive. To be forsaken by God. Two criminals. They don't know that. At this point, they don't understand that. He's just another guy hanging on a cross. And in order to alleviate perhaps some of their own suffering, to alleviate the fact of people gawking at them and looking at them, they too, both, both at this juncture, Mark is saying, throw their taunts. They reviled him. To revile means to heap abuse, to hurl insult. It's just streaming out of their mouths. One can probably think of the vulgarity that is coming. Well, you shouldn't think about it. But one can imagine and understand these two hardened criminals, what may be going on and exchange the insults coming Christ's way, even though they're right there suffering and they don't even have the decency at this point to say, well, man, you put up with a lot. Not yet. At this point, it is simply heaping more abuse upon him. But there is one more, isn't there? There's Jesus himself. There's Jesus What is Jesus doing? Jesus is praying over and over and over again. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Over and over again. Now his mouth is not silent. Now his mouth is open. Now he is the intercessor. Now he is the mediator. Now he is the great high priest. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Every abuse, every taunt, every ridicule, Father, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But Jesus is also enduring, isn't he? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We read there in 1 Peter 2 verses 22 through 24 the following. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, 
but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What is Jesus doing on the cross? He's shepherding us. He's shepherding us. He not only endures, he's the overseer on that cross. He is doing that which needs to be done so that we might be healed, that we might know forgiveness fully, completely. From all the garbage of our life, from all the sin of our life, from all the rotten stuff of our life, Christ is overseeing your soul, my soul. That's what he's doing. Such love compels us. Let's pray. Father, Peter said that this is what should drive us to righteousness. It should drive us to holiness. It should drive us to seeking to live a pure life. As we consider that which Christ paid for even the smallest of my sins. Father, it ought to create within our hearts a desire to be done with sin, to run from sin, to flee from sin, and to run to Christ in His name. All God's people say, Amen.